to go on with talking about, as we were doing last night, <clears throat> the enemies within. I know that some would rest the word of God and do not appreciate that which God would say, but um, truly, I make no apology. That which is so is so. The strange thing is that a human heart will grasp at exceptions. I know that whatever truth comes, I can always find something that seems to contradict that truth if that's what I want. And I can rest in deception because I'll find an exception. But an exception to a rule or an apparent exception to a rule does not necessarily make the truth incorrect, merely makes my heart more deceived. And one always needs to beware of sheltering under the fraudulent, for certainly there are many frauds, many things that you look at and you wonder, how can this be? If that is true, then how about this, this and this? But of course, you only see it from a human point of view and not from God's. And truth is truth is truth. And that's the end of it. There is no way round it. And I want to look this morning into Joshua again, where we were, and talk a little about the first thing that went, you remember, is Jericho. Now, Jericho meant fragrance, sweetness, that religious devil called self. You know, a man either becomes a demon or he becomes an angel. When he leaves this body, he'll become like an angel or like a devil. He'll be one or the other. That is the awful thing. Some people, they take on more the guise of the devil every time you see them. You can see the devil's spirit in them. See it standing out in their faces in their hearts and some take on more the guise of an angel and you can see I'm not talking about the natural face for some for natural faces are very ugly and you couldn't see how an angel could possibly look like that anyway they don't look like human faces an angel's face is an angel's face doesn't look like a human face just doesn't. But when we move out of this life and this body, you'll either be like an angel or like a devil. That's how you'll be. Your spirit's already going the way of either becoming an angel or a devil in nature and time. And in Joshua chapter 9, we go on. Now, Ai was the heap which was dealt with, the, uh, the city of the heap. I want to go on to uh, chapter 9 and just share some thoughts. They might not be what you want to think, but 
Who cares what you want to think? In verse 1, And it came to pass, and it surely shall, when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And if you've got a good Bible, it will tell you in the margin, no doubt in Hebrew that means with one mouth. The one accord means one mouth. And it's interesting that when you get into Jordan, the things that fight, the enemies are on this side Jordan say well the Egyptians were dealt with somewhere else but the enemies within the soul are on this side of Jordan it's when you get across when you've been through Gilgal and you always find that the armies of Israel always return to Gilgal the place of the cross after every battle they'd return to Gilgal and so there they are and all the enemies with one mouth. And it's interesting that it's speech and words that are actually assaulting the truth. In your mind and in your heart, it's thoughts that come, but they come in the form of words. And the enemy of the soul fights with words. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Lord of hosts came with his sword in his hand. Sword drawn. you remember. And so they gathered themselves together. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon, verse 3, heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouted upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy, and they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel we be come from a far country now therefore make ye a league with us and the men of Israel said unto the Hivites peradventure ye dwell among us and how shall we make a league with you and they said unto Joshua we are thy servants and Joshua said unto them who are you? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and to Og the king of Barshan which was at Ashtaroth. 
Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot from our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry, and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent. And these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals, and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord, and Joshua made peace with them, and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Now, I want to just spend a little while looking at this story before we continue it. Here come the Gibeonites. The dwellers in the hills. They're hill dwellers. That's what it means in Hebrew. Hill dwellers. And you'll remember if you go to, to Jeremiah chapter 50, how God's complaint against the shepherds were they had turned the people off the mountain down to the hills. Do you remember? We looked at it last week in Jeremiah 50. The shepherds had turned the people away from the mountain of God down to the hills. And these are hill dwellers, the Gibeonites. Dwellers in the hills. And they worked wilily. And they made out as though they were ambassadors suing for peace. And the enemy, when he comes, when he realizes that it is utter destruction he faces in your life and your soul, he's not about to identify himself. He doesn't come as he really is. When he sees that he can't win by battle, when he sees that the Lord of hosts has come with a sword in his hand, he begins to realize that his game is up. And the hill dwellers, that's the little religious things you have, you know, little doctrines you've got, they work craftily. They work upon your mind and your heart. They know their end is nigh if they don't do something crafty. And the strongholds of Satan are in your mind, Paul says. That's where they lodge. And the word of God is sent for the pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. But he doesn't want his strongholds to come down. And so he works in a crafty manner. And his craftiness... is so evil, so wicked, 
and so deceptive that most hearts get trapped by it. Now, if you have ears to hear what the Spirit would say to your heart here, and if you don't, well, go your own way. But this is what God would say to you. They'd finished with Jericho, which was fragrance. That was the place where it was the height. They'd finished with Ai, which was uh, the picture of an heap or hell. You remember that Abraham, in the early days, he pitched his his tent between Ai on the one hand, which is a heap, and Bethel on the other hand, and he went to neither. And God caused them to knock down fragrance, that's the false religion, that which is the strong tower in your life, and then Ai, which is the heap. He knocked both of them down, and then come the Gibeonites, the hill dwellers. And they come, and they work wily. They come as they had been, verse 4, ambassadors. They come to appear ambassadors. They come with entreaty. They come with sound reason. They come with beautiful logic. They come with petition. They come with flattery. That's how an ambassador comes. When an ambassador is suing for peace and trying to protect himself, he's not about to come with harsh words. He'll come with flattery. He'll come with all the appearance of goodness and sweetness to destroy you. Chaucer talked about the smiler with a dagger under his cloak and surely that's just what it is they come with a smile an ambassador and they took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Now look. Look at what they bought, bread and wine. Bread and wine. Oh, they came with the symbols of Christianity and they had their feet shod. And they had a garment upon them. In fact, they would come, let's put it in this guise, you know, just um, in this guise that would say, put it in context for modern day Christianity. Well, of course, brother, you know, uh, we have the old truths. Don't you know we've walked this pathway a long time? See, we've been so long on the road, our bread's gone moldy and dry. We've been so long on this road that our wine has turned to vinegar. We've walked the hard way of the gospel. 
And the truths we have, the bread we have, it's served time. Why it's gone so dry and moldy, it's unedible. But it's still bread. The wine we have, you couldn't drink it. Tastes like vinegar. But it's still wine. I mean, we have something real. See, we started out with it. Now, the interesting thing is they never started out with fresh bread and they never started out with fresh wine. They came with moldy, they picked moldy bread and they picked moldy wine and they picked old shoes and they picked old clothes and old garments, ragged garments, and they put them on them. Don't ever believe someone when they say that they did have the real thing but lost it. I want to tell you that's a Gibeonite, a hill dweller. If a man had the reality of God burning in his soul and he had the life, he'd have fresh bread and he'd have sweet wine that's fresh from the wine press. There is no oldness in Christ. A man is a new creation and that new creation is ever newly created day by day. Never becomes old. Manna, when it was provided, God's food in the wilderness, was to be gathered daily. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And when they came into the new country and they started eating of the corn and they started taking drinking of the wine of the vines in Canaan, it was new wine. And God never intends us ever to make a league with the old. Never. The old way, which is not the true way, is the deceptive way. And now you say, well, what about the old men of God? Well, for the Puritan era, the men who walked and had new wine and fresh bread all their lives, hallelujah for them. I'll eat of fresh bread. I'll drink of the fresh wine because I'll tell you if it's eternal, it's ever fresh, it's ever new. That's why I can pick up the word of God and I read the epistles and I find fresh bread. To me, it's never moldy. To me, I can look at something I've read a hundred times and glory to God, it's fresh. Some fresh inspiration and quickening power flows through it. I find the word of God ever fresh. And any man who had a real experience of God through the ages and lived the life, he never became moldy. His wine never became like vinegar. It was always fresh. There was something new, something glorious. 
Not that he didn't have experiences of the past, because Jesus said, the scribe he brings out of the law things both old and new. But oh, there's always the newness and the freshness. Why? He wouldn't eat moldy bread? What sane man would eat moldy bread? Millions go to churches and stuff their faces full of it every Sunday. Insanity. And they call it Christianity. They drink vinegar. That's why they come out so bitter. Just go near them, you soon know whether they've drunk fresh wine. Fresh wine makes the heart merry and joyful. But you get the bitter old bags of drunk vinegar all morning. Of course they come out bitter. That's what they come out for, bitter. And you say, well, you shouldn't call people old bags. I'm not. It refers to the bags on the donkey. Bags riding on asses. Old bags. That's where it was. But only look like old bags. Full of moldy bread and rotten wine. Just quoting scripture. There it is. Oh, well, old sacks, old bags. Verse 4. See, you've got to remain biblical. Okay. And then they had old shoes. You know, they were people who walked the way a long time, clouted old shoes on their feet. Can you imagine? Hole in their soul. Well, I've been a long way, you know. I met people like that. Oh, brother, when you walk with the Lord as many years as I have, you'll be as miserable as I am. When as moldy a bread as I've got, you've got to understand, we've stood the test of time. And you look at them. And you feel you want to turn your head and vomit. Makes you sick. You see, the Lord never intended that, but the wily old serpent, he comes and, you know, people esteem old things. They, they think there's some value in them. But what I'm saying to you is, I've got a lot of old books in my office. Come in and have a look sometime. 400 years old. But, Glory to God, I've got hot bread baked in there and I've got fresh sparkling wine that comes out the pages. And it's the same with my Bible too. When it's born of the Spirit of God, it's never dry, never moldy, never crusty and all bitty and you kind of go to cut it. Ever seen old bread when it's gone all moldy and blue fungus growing out of it? Huh? draw near to cut it and your knife nearly breaks in your hand and think goodness me no one puts that in their mouth except uh, the religious people they stick it in their mouth and suck it to see if they can thaw it out a bit so they can chew it soggy mess and when they find they don't like the taste they swig some vinegar to preserve it That's how they live, in vinegar. They look all preserved. When you go into their steeple houses and see them, they look like preserved people. Full of bitterness. Bitter old, uh, 
sacks. And it was dry and moldy. What a terrible life to live. But you see, it never was hot. It never was fresh. And when the serpent comes, he comes with doctrines that he picks off the shelf that never brought life to anyone. But he has them. Boy, he can pick out a library full. You can go to anyone's library of a theologian and they stuff their library with books on eschatology. And you can look and there's 50 books and every single one of them will have a different theory on the coming of the Lord and the second coming. And then you'll find stupid people who studied Babylon for years. Books on the two Babylons and the three Babylons and the five Babylons and the whatever Babylon you want. They've got it. And you can pause through it and then you've got people shelves of books on numerology. You can learn what every number means. And if you want to believe that rubbish, you can believe it. And then you've got people who fill their libraries with books on the law. And they work out what Moses meant by this and what Moses meant by that and how to get round it without sinning. And there's people there who've got books and tomes and theories then there's people have written books on Melchizedek, who he really was. And you've got thousands of written books saying he was this, he was that, he was the other. I remember once I went to a conference. It was a conference for overseas students, Buddhists and Muslims, lovely people. Devout they were, not like Christians. And went there and I remember going and I found out very quickly that if you go to uh, the Muslims and you say now, please would you be my guest at a meeting, it's impolite to refuse so they accept. So I found one way to get them to a Christian meeting was go around and ask each one to personally be your guest every day. And you could fill the meeting room with them because they would politely accept. So I used to have 65 guests every evening at the meeting so they could hear the gospel and I remember we shared the gospel and there were two sisters who, who got deported straight afterwards but from Mongolia out of Mongolia the first two ever allowed out and God began to melt their hearts and deal with them unfortunately there were some communists in the a meeting who reported them to the air embassy and the first two girls ever allowed out got shipped straight back into their wicked tyrannous country that the Pope actually believes is alright wicked man terrible thing they got shipped out but I remember one couple Japanese Buddhists I remember walking around with this chap over oh, while we were off one day and I was walking around with him and I said to him, you know, I said there's a difference between you and me and he and his girlfriend at the time, they're now married, were um, lovely people, really lovely. They lived 
according to the light they had and they lived exemplary lives that far greater than most Christians would live so called and so I talked to him and I said you know the difference between you my friend and me is one thing I said inside of you there's a thousand things raging but your religion never touches it and you have no answer for it but inside me I said I've got problems but I have a savior who comes to deal with them and he turned to me he said that's not fair I said, why isn't it? He said, because you know no one can get inside. I said, God can. And my Jesus is God. And he can get inside. He deals with the things inside me. He can never, Buddha can't touch the things inside you. Buddha's dead. I said, he died saying he yet sought the truth. I follow him who is the truth. And it was a great joy to see them give their hearts to Christ and become fine Christians totally yielded unto him they had sought all the answers in Buddha and found their only one answer in Christ they couldn't meet the inward demands but in Jesus you can but oh the people that love the moldy bread you see, what he needed, that Buddhist, was fresh bread, fresh wine. He didn't need a doctrine. He'd got a hundred of them crowding his mind. What he needed was life. He needed someone to say, there is an answer to the inward need. I know a living God who's alive. I've got fresh bread. It's not taken from my oven. It's baking in it. Let me open my Bible. And out it comes. I've got fresh wine. The blood from Calvary still flows. I didn't try and pour vinegar doctrine and moldy bread rammed in his mouth and say, chew that and you'll get saved. But that's what most people do. They try and give people old rotten stuff and can't understand. They give them old rags to put on as clothes and old shoes and they say now walk the Christian life oh for freshness and vitality but the old Gibeonite he meets you down the way this little hill dweller never climbs the mountain to meet the Lord he, he's happy with the little spiritual experiences you know the mole hill he can get on top of easily with one step and there he is sitting on his little mole hill you know probably in the era of Sandemandianism or something like that he believes that because Jesus said um, whosoever shall believe shall be saved well I believe therefore I'm saved totally misunderstanding the use of scripture like most evangelicals today totally unsaved unregenerate unmet un unwashed uncleansed uh, but clinging on to some scripture and thinking they're going to heaven when they're on the way to hell. Oh, Gibeonites are good at giving you those. They've got a thousand little texts for you to hang on to, and when you get your doubts, they'll try and reassure you. I'll tell you this, when Jesus Christ met me, and when Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost came in me, I couldn't doubt 
Because God came with fire and God came with his spirit and God showed me and I didn't need anyone to tell me I was saved. I didn't need anyone to tell me Jesus lived inside. I didn't need any scripture to cling on to. I'd got the life within. No one ever had to give me a Bible verse. And when God comes, you don't need your moldy old doctrine. You've got life. And you've got fresh bread. New every morning. Fresh wine flowing. Blood of Jesus cleansing you continually. And if you haven't got that, you haven't got reality. Oh, you go in and you open the scriptures and wherever you turn, it's new, it's fresh, it's alive. That's life. And then you've got the Gibeonites. They'd like to sit on their little hill with you and discuss some little doctrine. And they'll pop up in your mind and they'll try and tell you, well, don't throw it all away. There's some value in some of it. I mean, look, it's been this truth for years and years and years. But don't you understand that doctrine never saved anyone? Jesus Christ is the Savior. He alone gives life. He is the bread of life. I feed on a living bread. Not something that's dead. He is the living bread. I drink at a living fountain of living waters. I know a wine that flows that makes my heart rejoice ever makes it rejoice it never gets stale but the Gibeonites are always lurking there when God comes to deal the one thing people don't want to do is throw everything over thank God I had nothing to throw over except my sin I wasn't religious thank God for it thank God I was in the world I'm sorry for the sin I committed, but it was far easier to get saved out of the world than it was to ever get saved out of a church, so-called. Far easier. Because I, I didn't believe anything about nothing. So I didn't have the problems of quitting doctrine. I used to meet people that come with all cockeyed doctrines and I'd look at them and they'd used to tell me them and I could pick them off. So well, you know, but the Bible says somewhere. I remember once living with a man, share it, when I say living with him, rooming in the same room uh, as him, and this was when I was preaching, going around the place preaching, and I used to go back there, and I used to sit on my bed, and he'd start talking, and he'd bring up some doctrine, and I'd say, no, that can't be true, because it'll say somewhere in the Bible, so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so, and he'd look up the scriptures, and his testimony was, after four months of sharing a room with me, every doctrine he held dear was totally eradicated. 
said, well, how do you know? Well, you know, I had living bread inside. Oh, I love the scriptures. But I wasn't that knowledgeable then. So I had living bread. God knew I needed living bread. Got to have living bread. Would to God I'd always kept the living bread. But I allowed a few Gibeonites who were sitting on the hills and hill dwellers to get in my life and influence me. And they did. And it wasn't long before I was trying to chew moldy old crust and thinking I was giving life to people when I tried to share it with them too. And I had enough vinegar to stock a cellar. But who wants a cellar full of vinegar? Hmm? Who wants vintage vinegar? No one. I mean, somehow it just doesn't have any value. But it preserves you in error. And oh, I thank God that there was a time came when he started saying to me, hey, you know, these Gibeonites, get out of it. And I found once again, and do you know what I did? I picked up every doctrine when, when God came back and he said to me, now that's not the way. I picked up every doctrine. I picked up everything I believed. I picked up everything I've been taught. I tied it in one big great sack and I threw it out the window and I said, that's the end of it. And since that day, I don't know that I believe any doctrine. I have a living bread. Oh, I know that. You say, but surely you must have some doctrinal stance. Sure I have. Jesus Christ is the living Lord with living bread, giving living life. And I want to have life and life eternal. Not doctrine and doctrine to damnation, but life and life eternal. But the Gibeonites will sit there, you know. People come to me and they kind of want to discuss things. They want to discuss their doctrines. Well, I'm not too interested in their doctrine. Frankly, I haven't got the answers for everything. There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot in the Bible. I read it and thank God for the words that are there. One day I'll know it, but I look at some of them and I think, well, I don't know, that's hard to be understood. It's always fresh. Every time I read it, I think that's harder to be understood. Nice, fresh, hot off the press. I think, well, I don't know. wonder what use that's going to be. He begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat... Lord, why do you, you know, beget so many begats who are begotten? And you look at it and you wonder, Lord, there must be some value in it, but it hasn't begat me yet what it is. And then you look in other places and you read stories and they mean nothing and you think, well, I don't know, it's fresh, there's something in it, but Lord, it doesn't speak to me and... I go to another place and immediately the words quicken. And suddenly I understand and it's as though I've never read it before. And it's quicken and fresh to me. That's how I live. And you say, well, don't you have some firm basis? Yes, I do, Jesus Christ. No, but of doctrine. No, I don't. 
Because I find as I go on and I see things in a different perspective, it's as though it all changes, but it's all the same really. It's just that my perspective and understanding has changed because I see it a little more in God's perspective. Only a little bit here and there, dot or dash or something. But there you are, I don't see that much. But what I do see is living. It's life to me. Health to my bones and to my navel. I've always wondered how my navel can be healthy. If you ever wondered that, it's in scripture. You think, you know, what is it about my navel that's healthy? You can sit and examine it. It doesn't look, you know, it does much your navel, does it? But according to the scriptures, you know, you've got health to your navel. Interesting. Often wonder what Adam and Eve did. They shouldn't have had one. But there you are. Who knows? That's what it says in Proverbs. I I just find some of the things you look at and you explain it. Imagine if you went to your doctor and said, uh, excuse me doctor, but I've got some real trouble. I've got a sick navel. (laughs) You've got what? Could you treat it? I I mean, but God uses things. Now, I don't understand the full implications of it. I can't explain. You know, what exactly? You can pick out little things and you can say, okay, what does that mean? I don't know. What I do know is God says it, so it's right. Maybe that's where you should take your temperature. Who knows? But, what I do know is there's other things. You know, people come and say, well, what does it mean to be baptized for the dead? Well, I don't know. Well, how can you answer a Mormon if you don't know what it means? Well, I don't answer a Mormon. I mean, he's got a spirit of error. It's his spirit that needs changing, not his doctrine. It's his heart that needs cleansing and dealing with, not his teaching. You don't change a man by giving him a new set of beliefs. You change a man by seeing God change his spirit. But the Gibeonites are always trying to persuade us that it's the good old doctrine, the good old beliefs. I say it's the life that's good and new. That's what changes it. And I watch out when the Gibeonites come. They always come in your soul. They come through people. There are people who have got the Gibeonite spirit. Come along and they try and convince you. Oh, you know, it really is this way. And they start talking to you about doctrines. You preach something new and living and you know they'll remember, oh, but what about Wesley? Well, what about Wesley? He's dead. And what about Whitfield? Well, he's passed away. Gone to glory. Well, what about Booth? Well, he's in his booth in glory. What about this? What about... And then they try and do away with truth because they think they've got exceptions to the rule. And then they say, well, I'm an Anglican, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Baptist, I'm a this, I'm a that. 
Well, I'm a Christian, and that's the only person that's worth having, Christian. I don't belong to anyone except Jesus Christ. And I don't belong to any set of doctrines except Jesus Christ, being the living Son of God who's my living bread. And I don't have doctrine in that sense. But I know the doctrine. I know the teaching because Jesus tells me. But then he just tells me what he wants me to know. And I find if I find some awkward place in Scripture and I begin to say, Lord, I wonder what that means. And I start, I can pick down a hundred commentaries and I'll be no wiser at the end of it. My head will kind of ache with ideas. And I kind of stick them all away and about two months later, God will tell me it means something different anyway. The whole lot of them were wrong. I think, <laughs> you know, but how can they all be wrong, Lord? Well, they were Gibeonites, the hills of knowledge. That's why they call them knowledge bumps on the front of your head, you know. It's a little hill lots of people climb. It's where they keep it all stored. And so the Gibeonites came and they said, Come on, make a league with us. Make a league. We've come from a far country. We want to be your friend. Don't you understand? You need some help and guidance along the way. We want to befriend you. We, we are here to help. We want to serve you. We don't want to lord it over you. We don't want to trick you. We want to be your servant. Let us be your little servants, please, Joshua. Here we've come so far. We only want to serve you. We don't want to kind of capture your life and master it. We just want to serve your life and help it to be a little softer. That's how doctrine always comes, you know. Well, of course, you've got to get in the right lines, you know. You, otherwise, you could go off into terrible extremes. You better be balanced. But no Christian is balanced. Christ is balanced. No man is balanced. Jesus is. God is always balanced. And one of the amazing things is in the natural, it looks so unbalanced. Why in the old camp meetings in America? I'm sure you heard this story. People used to walk on the campground and suddenly the Spirit of God had come and he used to whip them backwards and forwards. They just used to stand, their feet rooted to the spot, and they'd just whip backwards and forwards. And their head had touched the ground at the... And they used to whip like that time after time until God had broken the spire of sin in them and filled them with the Holy Ghost. A lot of people used to go to that field and they used to say, oh, it's of the devil, this, this kind of thing. And some of the women with their long hair, it used to crack like a whip as they went back and forth. People used to go along, you know, they'd got the book. I could tell you it never said anything about whipping in there. Mind you, it does say that the stripes are preserved for the backs of fools, so I think that's whipping. So you get stripes on your back by getting whipped. But uh, they used to get up, and they used to get up converted. 
One day a man went there and he got drunk before he went on the camp field and he said, there's one thing I won't do, he said. God's spirit isn't going to come and touch me. I'm going there and he took a bottle of whiskey in each pocket and he went there to the camp meeting. And he walked on and he said, there's no effect going to come. And he started whipping back and forth. He did. And he fought it. And he said he wasn't going to let it happen. And he fought physically. And he whipped forward so fast in his drunken stupor it smashed his head on a tree. They carried him out dead. Say, well, you know, how do you get that in the Bible? Well, I don't know about the Bible, but what I'll tell you is there was a mighty revival. And anyone who got whipped up by God on that, they changed. They had sin whipped right out of them. Say, well, why doesn't that happen today? Well, God hasn't chosen to do that today. He never chooses to do the same thing again. He does it in a different way because he's a God of, of, of doing different things. Now, there's no way you could engender that kind of movement. And there's things God does that he just does sovereignly for that time. And that's it. But if I go back to the forms that people use, that nice old moldy bread, and I try and institute that form thinking it'll bring revival, it won't. I've got to have the living Christ. I've got to have the presence of the living God. Living bread. It's no good going and saying, well, there was a great revival at camp meetings. Let's try and do it. And back you go, back and forth, and you'll injure yourself. I always remember one, one lot of people, they started coming in, and you know there's this falling over technique. You can get anyone to fall under the power, just easy. Just tell them a few stories, and you'll induce it. Expect the power to come and hit you, and over they go. I remember I got a bit suspicious about it, so I said in our church, okay, anyone that falls from now on, God better catch you because no one else is. It's surprising how very quickly everyone got psyched up not to fall, especially when they saw a stone floor behind. It's surprising what it can do. Delivered people from the desire to fall over, and yet some people did go over and never hurt themselves. But if God's doing it, that's fine. But I'm suspicious of anything else. I want living bread. Don't you? I don't want a form. I want Christ. I don't want a doctrine. I want Jesus. But Joshua was unwise. They took, um, verse 12, This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you now this is their story and in verse 13 these bottles of wine which we filled were new and behold they be rent and these are garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey and the men took of their victuals now the men the princes of Israel took of their victuals and looked at them and examined them and accepted their story on the basis of what they'd bought. They'd bought bread, they'd bought wine, and it was old, 
and their story was plausible. It was reasonable. And asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. The one thing they didn't do was go back to the living Christ. I throw everything out and if Jesus won't tell me it's so, I don't believe it. Until he speaks it into my soul, I don't believe it. Might be leaving bread for someone else, but if he hadn't spoken it into me, I leave it in abeyance. I throw out everything. Well, I'm careful what I let in now. I don't let in the things that are moldy, and I don't drink vinegar. Doesn't taste nice. I really don't. I just don't let them in. I'm very choosy of the books I read. Very particular. I'm very particular the tapes I listen to. I'm very particular the things I hear. For I don't want to get in my soul anything that's moldy. They asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Now, if you look, keep your finger there and just go to Judges chapter 2. And in Judges 2 we read these words. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, the people lifted up their voice and wept. They wept, but it was too late. They made a league, and God commanded them not to make a league. You'll find the same thing if you want to look in Numbers 33.
Numbers 33. And verse 55. Numbers 33. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and shall vex you in the land wherein you shall dwell. Now if you will not come clear of all things in your soul that have inhabited it from the day of your birth up to the moment of time which is now, and you're not prepared to utterly destroy and cast out everything that's not living in Christ, and of the life of Christ, it's going to be a thorn in your sight, and it's going to vex you, and you might get in the land, but believe me, it'll always be a vexation to you, and it'll vex your soul. That's why a lot of people get into Christ, and they're vexed. They're troubled. They have mental problems. They're always wondering and twisting and turning and thinking and wondering and trying to get explanations for this and that. And it causes lots of dispeace. It vexes you. Destroy it all. Oh, Joshua, if only you'd asked counsel of God, he'd have said, destroy them. But you didn't. And how many people instead of trying to go into their books and their knowledge and their reasonings, they accept these ambassadors and trying to accommodate them in their hearts and their lives. Instead of that, you should destroy them. Ask counsel of God and throw them out. Utterly destroy them. Or they'll vex your soul till the day of your death. You won't have peace from them. They're destructive things. They just vex you. Like a thorn in your side. All the days of your life they'll vex you. As for me, I just threw them all out. I just don't get vexed by them. If I don't understand something, I don't understand it. I don't start trying to understand it and reason it out. Because I know that God speaks and he gives me what I need for my life. And what he doesn't give me, I don't want. The knowledge that he hasn't given me, I don't want it. What he gives me, that's good enough. That's what I'll live on. Living bread for today, but I don't go and try and feast at any other table. Especially where there's moldy bread. Especially where there's vinegar. I don't want to partake of their victuals. And of course you'll find the curse that comes upon them. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them. Even though God had commanded them not. To let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And it came to pass at the end of three days. We're in verse 16. After they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors, and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now the cities of were Gibeon, 
and uh, Chepharah and Beeroth and Karjath Jarim. And the um, Chepharah, it means a village. Beeroth is wells. And Kajath Jerim is a city of forests. Now they had a city of forests and they had wells. So guess what Joshua said they would be? Hewers of wood and drawers of water. They had wells and they had wood. Now wood always speaks of carnality. You will find it speaks of humanity. In the tabernacle there was wood and it was always covered with gold. The wood was never left open in the tabernacle. Everything was covered with gold in the Holy of Holies. Wood always had to be covered. It was never left uncovered. It speaks of humanity. And one of the things that the Gibeonites always bring us down to is carnality. It's carnal reasonings. And when you get into carnal reasonings and carnal thinkings, you're in problems. And that carnal Gibeonite, the little hill dweller, is also a drawer of water. He'll give you water from his springs. It won't be water from God's springs. And watch out. They dwell in those cities. They've got wells, all right, but it's not the well of God. I want to drink of the living well. I don't want to drink of their wells, thank you very much. I don't want to go to the Gibeonites and say, I'll drink at your well. They've got a city with wells. And they've got a forest. They'll bring wood, carnality, and they'll also bring water and destroy you. Verse 18, And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes, but all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord our God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes had promised them. And Joshua called for them, verse 22, and spake unto them and said, Wherefore have you beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? And look at the answer, verse 24. And they answered Joshua and said, because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. Look, the devil knows. He knows what God said. God has said you're going to possess your souls in peace. God has said he's going to drive out all your enemies from before you. Now the devil knows that his days are numbered. So he's coming to make a treaty. He's coming to get you to compromise. Just take a little of your old life and your old ways with you. Only a little. You know, it stood the test of time. But it's moldy. It's vinegar. And God says, don't let it live. Destroy everything 
within your soul that it might have Jesus Christ reigning supreme. Destroy all the desires, all the wants, all the beliefs, everything goes by the sword of Jesus Christ. I want to live for him. I want to be his. I want my heart and my soul to be totally taken up by him. I'm not going to make a league with the Gibeonites. When men send ambassadors to say we want to be friendly, I say I don't want to be friendly with you. I'm at war with you. I won't share your beliefs. I want the living bread. I want the fresh wine. I want life. I'm only interested in life. The life of the living God. I want everything fresh, don't you? Fresh. Living. God deliver us from the doctrines of old. God deliver us from the forms and the ceremonies. God deliver us from their ambassadors that speak in our hearts and men who would come and bring us the filth from their filthy place. God, turn us away from drinking at their wells. Let's destroy them in our life. Let's say, oh Lord, I don't want any of it. That's part of the old, it's part of the inhabitants of the land that were there before you came. And it's got to go. It's part of the inhabitants that you said destroy. I'll utterly destroy them. I want my heart to be thine. Only thine. I want my soul to burn for thee. I won't compromise I won't accept their entreaties. I won't listen to their begging. I want to be yours and yours alone. There's no compromise. Yours, Lord. Yours alone. We sang that song earlier. It's a prayer, really. It's a new song. Thine only thine, my heart would ever be. Seal it with thy love, bind it close to thee. Subdue within my heart the usurper to thy throne. Thy kingdom come, I cry. Thy will be done alone. He's not about to share your heart. No Gibeonite has a right there. In your soul. No truth so old has a right in your heart. For Christ has come to establish his kingdom. It's thy throne, O oh God. It's thy kingdom. I won't hear an ambassador from another kingdom. I won't hear someone from another people. I want thee and thee alone. I know men will say that we're exclusive, so we are. I'm exclusively for Jesus. I want his bread, his life. I want to know his way in this day. I want to walk 
in the way he wants to me to walk this day. If it's different from what it's ever been before, so be it. Thank God that when I pick up books of old men, men of old, fox, pen, I find living bread. I find it hot. Spurgeon, I find it hot. For they had the living life which is eternal. Thank God when I pick up the word of God, it's not old. It's fresh, it's new, it's life. Thine, only thine, my heart would ever be. Seal it with thy love, bind it close to thee. Subdue within my heart the usurper to thy throne. How he tries to trap my heart, to usurp your place, O Lord. But he won't. Thy kingdom come, I cry. Thy will be done alone. Is that the cry of your heart? The longing of your soul? When you hear the word of your loins girt, your staff in your hand, ready to eat the word and go. Or do you want to dwell where you are in Egypt? Are you ready to march out and say, Away with everything, no Gibeonite in my soul. Thine, only thine, my heart would ever be. That's my cry. I want to live for thee.
subdue within mine heart. The usurper to thy throne, thy kingdom come, I cry. Thy will be done alone. O Father, Father thou knowest, Thou knowest that the word spoken is so powerless without your spirit quickening it to the heart. But when you quicken the word, when you light a soul, O God, it becomes hard and living, vibrant, becomes fresh bread, fresh wine. It comes to life. And we begin to see the need of our heart. Thine, only thine, my heart would ever be. Lord, I don't want to share it. I don't want a thorn in my side. I don't want a Gibeonite living in my soul. I don't want compromise. I want to utterly destroy all that's not of thee. I want your life, O living bread. I want to feast on thee. I want to live on thee alone. I don't want to entertain any ambassador from anywhere else. For I have come to the living Christ. And he alone is my salvation. Thine. Only. Only thine. I don't want to belong to others. Just you. My heart thine. And thine alone. Oh God. Let it be the cry of each soul. Let it be the cry within our being. Bind my heart close to thee. Lord, it's so prone to wander. So prone to get caught up in other things. Subdue within my heart the usurper to thy throne. Lord, crush all that would come and rise to usurp thy place. Thy kingdom come, I cry. Thy will be done alone. I want to live for you. Oh Lord, let it be a prayer. Let it be a cry within the heart. Let it be a longing within the soul. Let it be the prayer breathed by the Spirit of God within each one this day. Thine. Only thine, thine, only thine my heart would ever be. Lord, from this day forth, the Gibeonites are at an end. Compromise will cease. I'll never eat of that moldy bread. I'll never drink of that other wine. I'll never live and make treaties with them, O God. I'll live for thee, thine, only thine my heart's going to be, preserved for thee, O living bread, O fount of life. Lord, make it the cry of each heart, each spirit this day, thine, only thine. Seal it with thy love, bind it close to thee. Thine only thine, my heart should 
subdue within my heart the usurper. How the Gibeonites came and they said, Oh, we want to serve you. Huh. We want to serve you. They always come that way. How useful we'll be in your life. How helpful. If you consider a thorn and a vexation helpful. I don't. Oh Father, let thy word work as full as soap and as refining fire in each heart. Let it work as a hammer driving home the truth. Shatter in pieces, O oh God, the false. Reveal by your glorious light where the usurper lies and let us utterly destroy, utterly destroy him that you might rule supreme. Lord, keep and bless each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're gathering uh, tomorrow night, prayer meeting is at um, 9.30, and don't forget tonight we gather at 8.30. Okay, well, God bless you. Say hello to someone you didn't come with, and God willing. We'll see you tonight.